1 Chronicles chapter 11. Now all Israel gathered themselves to David in Hebron, saying, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. In times past, even when Saul was the king, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. Yahweh your God said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over my people Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron, and David made a covenant with them in Hebron before Yahweh. And they anointed David the king over Israel, according to Yahweh's word by Samuel. David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, also called Jabus, and the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, were there. The inhabitants of Jabus said to David, You will not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is David's city. David said, Whoever strikes the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went up first, and he was made the chief. David lived in the stronghold, therefore it was called David's city. He built the city all around, from Milo even around, and Joab repaired the rest of the city. David grew greater and greater, for Yahweh of armies was with him. Now these are the chief of the mighty men whom David had, who showed themselves strong with him in his kingdom, together with all Israel to make him king, according to Yahweh's word concerning Israel. This is the number of the mighty men whom David had, Jashabim, the son of a Hakmonite, the chief of the thirty. He lifted up his spear against three hundred and killed them in one time. After him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, who was one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pasdamon, and there were Philistines gathered together to battle, where there was a plot of ground full of barley, and the people fled from before the Philistines. They stood in the middle of the plot, defended it, and killed the Philistines, and Yahweh saved them by a great victory. Three of the thirty, chief men, went down to the rock to David into the cave of Adullam, and the army of the Philistines were encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was in Bethlehem at that time. David longed and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. The three broke through the army of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink any of it, but poured it out to Yahweh and said, My God forbid me that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy? For they risked their lives to bring it, therefore he would not drink it. The three mighty men did these things. Abishai, the brother of Joab, he was the chief of the three, for he lifted up his spear against three hundred and killed them, and had a name among the three. Of the three he was more honourable than the two, and he was their captain, however he wasn't included in the three. Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done mighty deeds, killed the two sons of Ariel of Moab. He also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. He killed an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits high. In the Egyptian's hand was a spear like a weaver's beam, and he went down to him with a staff, plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. Beniah the son of Jehoiada did these things, and had a name among the three mighty men. Behold, he was more honourable than the thirty, but he didn't attain to the three, and David set him over his guard. 
The mighty men of the armies also included Azahel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, the son of Dido of Bethlehem, Shamoth, the Hararite, Helez, the Pelonite, Ira, the son of Ikesh, the Tekoite, Abiezer, the Anathothite, Sibachai, the Hushathite, Elai, the Ahahite, Maharai, the Netophathite, Heled, the son of Baana, the Netophathite, Ithai, the son of Ribai, of Gibeah, of the children of Benjamin, Beniah, the Pyrethonite, Hurai, of the books of Gaash, Abiel, the Arbathite, Asmaveth, the Bahuramite, Eliaba, the Sha'alabite, the sons of Hashem, the Geizanite, Jonathan, the son of Shaggy, the Hararite, Ahiam, the son of Sakar, the Hararite, Eliphal, the son of Ur, Hepher, the Mecharathite, Ahijah, the Pelonite, Hezro, the Carmelite, Naarai, the son of Ezbi, Joel, the brother of Nathan, Mibhar, the son of Hagri, Zelek, the Ammonite, Naharai, the Birathite, the armor bearer of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, Ira, the Ithrite, Garib, the Ithrite, Uriah, the Hittite, Zabab, the son of Ahlai, Adina, the son of Sheza, the Reubenite, a chief of the Reubenites, and thirty with him, Hanan, the son of Maaka, and Joshaphat, the Mithnite, Uziah, the Ashtarathite, Shama and Jael, the sons of Hotham, the Aroarite, Jadael, the son of Shimri, and Joah, his brother, the Tizite, Eliel, the Mahavite, and Jerobai, and Jeshaviah, the sons of Elnaam, and Ithma, the Moabite, Eliel, and Obed, and Jaasiel, the Mezabite. <laughs> Some great names there. And it's interesting because back in, um, sec in 2 Samuel, in the last few chapters, we went through the mighty men of David, and there were, you know, there were the three, which was in reality at five, because uh, it was like you know the three musketeers and D'Artagnan. So the three was really four, except in this case it was really five. So there were the three. Then there were the 30, which was really like about 31. But here, we've got all of those, and we have another 16 names. So it actually, there's, the 30 is more like about 47 here. So it's interesting. So the three and the 30, it's kind of like... Uh, round numbers that sound cool. You know, I'm one of the three, but there's really five in the three. And I'm one of the 30, but there's really like 47 of them. And uh, the 16 here, some people were kind of saying, well, where's the extra 16 come from? Well, uh, on one, I just think it's just, it's just a number, you know, like you're one of the 30, but the 30 doesn't mean exactly 30. But on the other hand, someone was saying in one of the commentaries I was reading that, that this position of 30, that they changed over time. So you have like someone like Uriah the Hittite, for example, who was a part of the 30, but he died in battle, so someone else would fill his spot. So there was always like the 30, but different people were in it at different times. So that's what somebody said, and that makes sense as well. So maybe the 47 was the 30, but not all at once over a period of time. So that's an idea right there. In any case, we're all supposed to be mighty men. We're all supposed to be like our, our uh, saviour, Jesus Christ. He's like... You know, he's like our king, we're supposed to follow him and we're supposed to be his mighty men. Now in this chapter, it says that all Israel came to David at Hebron. So what's happened is, in the last chapter, we were reading about Saul, how he died. Now, what's interesting is that way back in um, 1 Samuel, around about chapter 8, 7 or 8, is where we first meet Saul. You know, Israel asked for a king and we meet Saul. All the way through to chapter 31, it's all the story of Saul. Well, 
We didn't get any of that here in Chronicles. All we got is 14 verses about Saul and it just says the Lord put him to death. So we skipped a huge big chunk. And then in 2 Samuel, it's all about David. And there's all this stuff, you know, David and Saul's son, Ishbosheth. There's the civil war that goes on for a few chapters. And it's not until chapter 5 that David um, is approached by all of Israel. So there's four whole chapters which are skipped here as well. So this, this, the book of Chronicles, isn't giving some of the detail. So it's not a complete, it's not retelling in the same way because it's making more just points that we need to understand. So here... It says that all of Israel came to David in Hebron. At this point, he's already a king of one of the tribes. It doesn't even tell us how that happened. You've got to go to the Samuel stories to get all of that. And David was king in Hebron for two years before all of Israel came to him to appoint him king. Then he was the king in Hebron for five more years before he went to Jerusalem. All of that is not here as well. It just says that he went up and he took Jerusalem so you can see how this is like a summary of what happened. Huge big chunks of time are just skipped. You don't even get the chronology of it is just not here at all. You don't even realize these huge big amounts of time have just gone past. And as we get into other parts later, we're gonna see the chronology is not there. What's there is the meaning. So th there are some quite significant differences here because this is all now being told from God's perspective. So, um, it then goes through the mighty men. And then in the middle of the mighty men, every now and then it'll have like a, a little rabbit trail and tell a little story about one of the mighty men. You know, like for example, it said Benaiah went down into a, there was a lion in a pit on a snowy day and he went down and killed it. There are only two people in the Bible who kill lions. It's David himself and this bloke, Benaiah. And outside the Bible, the guy who's famous for killing a lion is Hercules. And um, some people said, oh, the Bible, oh, and Samson, of course, sorry, further back in the Bible, he's like the most like Hercules. And some people, they said, oh, Her the Bible just copied Greek literature. Well, I think maybe Greek literature copied the Bible. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, you know, the devil, he's always trying to copy things that actually happened. And uh, I just think it's hilarious. Anyway, we've got this, so we've got, you know, a lion gets killed in the snowy pit. That's a cool story. But then there's another little uh, diversion here where it says that the Philistines were in Bethlehem at that time. So what we don't realize when we're just reading the Bible normally is that there were periods of time when the enemy was in control of the land. So Bethlehem, now David is born in Bethlehem much later. Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. But after David is born and before Jesus is born, the Philistines are in control of Bethlehem. It's occupied territory. And so there's this story where, you know, David wants to have a drink of the water of Bethlehem and his, his mighty men, they break through and get the water, break back. Now that's a brave effort. You imagine, you know, some terrible place in the world and you had to bust in there to get something and get out. People make movies about that stuff, you know, secret missions. Well, here's a secret mission in the Bible, all to get a drink of water for King David into enemy territory. But what I thought was interesting about that was it was the Philistines that were in control of Bethlehem, and it was occupied territory. Now today, the land, the city of Bethlehem or the town of Bethlehem is in Palestinian territory. Now do you notice how the word Philistine and the word Palestine kind of sound the same, right? It's because they're based off the same thing. So when the Roman Empire came, you know, a, lot, a long time after this story, they were struggling with the Jews <laughs> because 
the Romans, you know, they really, um, they had their own religion, you know, with the Roman gods and everything. But every time they would conquer a land, they would let the people have their own religion and they were reasonably tolerant. They even adopted some of the local religions and they were flexible with it all. But when they came to Judah or Judea, the Jews were not flexible, <laughs> which is understandable because, you know, they were by this point completely monotheist. So it wasn't a case of just being flexible. No, it was a case was the Lord is God and we are not saying that Caesar is Lord and we are not worshipping those Roman gods. And it's completely understandable and it's right. But the Jews combined it with politics and it, they didn't see their Messiah who was their king. They didn't see that their king was a non-political figure in the way that, that, you know, they were thinking of it more in terms of like a King David king who was going to conquer the world. And so they fought. Well, the, the Romans crushed the revolt you know, the first Jewish war, or the Jewish wars, which Josephus wrote about, but then there were two other sets of Jewish wars, and by around about 130 AD-ish, the Romans had completely crushed, you know, Judaism was done. And at that point, they renamed it. It was no longer the province of Judah, Judea, it was the province of Palestine. <laughs> and some people said that they were doing that on purpose to take it, the, the land, the name of Judah off it, and put the, the same name that the Philistines had onto that, I actually don't know if that's true or not. Some people make out like it was this vindictive thing. It might not have been vindictive. It could have just been practical. But either way, the land came to be called Palestine and has a linguistic connection to the Philistines. But there's not a cultural connection. So today, you know, in, the, in Israel, um, we've got the Israelis and the Palestinians, and it's a terrible political problem and they're fighting each other, and, and it's, it's something that only the gospel can solve. We've got to get clear about that. Presidents will try, <laughs> but the gospel is, is what's going to solve this problem, and your prayers. And um, when the Bible says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, by the way, you know, it's not talking about physical Jerusalem, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't pray for it. You should pray for Jerusalem, and you should pray for Palestine, and you shouldn't pray with one side favoured in your mind or the other because these are all people, and the Bible says that Christ came to redeem the nations. God came for all people. He came for Jews, and he came for Arabs, he came for Palestinians, and by the way, some of those Palestinians are Christians, and they're the most fabulous Christians at all, and they are persecuted by the Israelis. So it's not, it's not always what you hear on the news, and our job as believers is to love everybody, and the gospel is what will solve the problem. So I wanted to just share three things about, about this. Because some people, they look back on this and they say, oh, the Philistines occupied Bethlehem, and, but you know, King David drove them out. And we've got to believe that Israel will drive out the Palestinians and it'll be, it'll be all the Holy Land once again. Well, that's a big mistake because what you're doing is you're now going back to shadows and, and types. You're going back to physical things as the real things and trying to make them be the real thing now. But the whole Bible has been a lesson up to this point to teach us that physical things were real, but they were only an example of a greater reality. And so we go right back to the to uh, Bible times, and we realize that God was trying to teach us a lesson. So all of these things that happened in the Bible were examples to us, but the truth is the Holy Land, the idea of the Holy Land isn't a physical piece of land or a physical piece of property. The Holy Land is our hearts. You know, our heart... The, and the, all of the earth is the Lord, says the Bible. And so we don't take one piece of dirt in the world and say, that's the Holy Land, that's more special than everyone else. No, we, we take the attitude that the earth is the Lord's. It all belongs to the Lord. It's all holy. It all should be his. 
and our heart should be holy, but our heart is our hearts are the land that the Lord wants to conquer. And so the Philistines of the Bible and the Palestinians of now, they're not the same people, it's not the same culture, and we shouldn't try to apply the same lesson. And in any case, Christ taught us to love our enemies. <laughs> so the lesson that we have learned is that we don't fight them and kill them off and believe for them to die and be banished. But we seek to win our enemies over through the love of Christ. And that's why the gospel is the solution to the problem of today. So Lord, we thank you for these things. We thank you for the lessons of the Bible. We thank you for the example of Christ. We thank you, the Lord, that you're a blessing to us. And just as David had mighty men, Father, I ask that we would be your mighty men and mighty women for the sake of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.